Oh, first off, I need to dismiss the kids. Yeah. Before I... Hey, uh... Kids, you guys can meet up in the foyer. That, 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 out that door in the back. Uh, the that weird word. So good to have kids in here this morning. I really... I mean... I, I watch them worship to learn how to worship. I watch their innocence. I watch their... And, and, and Barry talks about this all the time, too. <laughs> We, we, we have to have that childlikeness. But I want to introduce you, if you don't already know, Barry Taimani and Andy Patrick. These are, these are beloved home pastors of Cedars Church, uh, of Community Church, and Buena Vista Church, respectively. Um, I have got to spend a lot of time with these guys, uh, a lot of time, and you are in for a treat this morning. So, uh, have fun, guys. Take it away. Testing. Um, man, uh, first of all, it's good to be with you guys. And just a little background, like this guy right here, um, Andy, has been somebody that I've been able to, to imitate his love for Jesus. And um, I'm, I, would, I would give credit to Christ, of course, but um, we, were, we were about five, five years ago. Almost, yeah. Almost five years ago, we were being discipled and poured into by Jeff Harris, and we were meeting for about a year. Every Tuesday, he was just equipping us, right? And the goal was to plant home churches. And we were meeting every week, and I just remember, um, I think they were waiting for us to pull the trigger, right? Like, when, well, we've been here for a year now. When are you guys going to actually do what we've been talking about? And I was terrified. I'll be, I admit, like, I didn't want to do it. I had doubts, fears, but... He pulled the trigger first, and it, he, would, he would come to our Tuesday night meetings, and he would talk about uh, some of the things that he was learning, and, and I'm sitting there like, man, if Andy can do it, I can do it, <laughs> right? And I'm just encouraged by that, but I, I think it's powerful when you understand we are not to neglect this gathering, right? That the body of Christ is a place where we get to watch examples of the gospel being lived out. We come and hear it firsthand from, from the steward and, and the pastors, but it's so encouraging. I just had to just, just pump you up a little bit, bro. You know what I mean? And I appreciate you. <laughs> the funny thing is, is when we started, like, it was just, you know, me and him were the only ones pulling the trigger. And I was like, I hope I have somebody come to my living room. And Barry, after two weeks, is like, you know, we need to move to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe I'm not doing so good. <laughs> I, I love Barry, though. It's, it's it, like we were talking about the great thing is, is that we have different approaches, but there's always something you can learn from the other person. Um, so, with that in mind, I would encourage you, you know, even though uh, my home church is little, his home church is big, um, uh, to not, not judge, uh, you know, judge a person. A lot of the parable of the Good Samaritan that we're going to be talking about is not judging. Um, a wise man once said, uh, never judge a person until you have walked a mile in their shoes. And the reason for that is if after that, you still hate them. You're a mile away, and you have their shoes. <laughs> so yeah, so like Asbury mentioned, uh, we, you know, uh, me and my wife, we started Buena Vista Home Church nearly five years ago. Um, we started to kind of provide a place where people who don't normally come to uh, Sunday morning service can feel at home, either because they work on Sunday mornings, or they've got little kids that are too rambunctious, or you know, they, you know, they've got something in their past that just makes them not want to come. Where we are today 
is around two years ago, you know, we, we took a heavy emphasis in, uh, in racial justice and racial reconciliation. Uh, that's been a major focus of ours, but we also have fun. Uh, and we, uh, we helped start, there's a, um, a local East Bay, although hopefully Bay Area soon, coalition of, of, of churches that are devoted to racial justice uh, called the Jesus and Justice Collective. If you'd like to hear more, I would love to tell you about it. But that's kind of where we are now. So we're in this series on love. Tim asked us to talk about loving our neighbor, and uh, kind of the go-to passage for that is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is uh, Luke 10, 25 through 29. Um, so, or, I mean, Luke 10, uh, 25 through 37, but I'm going to go ahead and read the first few verses of that. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Um, This kind of gets into our theme of self-justification, but before I get into that, do you want to talk about it? So, I I love this, that passage. If you go back to that passage, um, something that I I didn't catch before, right, because there's a huge emphasis on the parable, but this is a story about evangelism, right? It's it's Jesus' direct personal evangelism to someone, but he's going to do it in in a way, he's going to express a parable, but Something I missed is the way that Jesus encounters this person. And you go deeper, the motive behind the question is, is, is backwards, right? He doesn't have the right intent. You know, um, I love Ravi Zacharias. He, he makes a statement that intent is always prior to content. Like, if you really want to know truth, you have a generous God that is willing to give you that truth, right? With an open heart, God can work with. But you have a guy who's asking a question that is kind of like this, you know, um, he's, he's asking a question thinking he knows the answer. What, what is it called? Rhetorical question, right? <laughs> and, and he kind of has the half answer. But the thing that I've learned in this is that Jesus responds with two questions. He's like, what, what's the law say? And then he follows with, what do, you, what do you think? What do you take from it, right? And it reminded me in my early stages of evangelizing that I didn't really care what any questions you had about my faith. I just knew the truth. And I'm going to tell you everything I know, and I'm going to hope that you can get saved. And it was just like this very like, naive, selfish approach, right? It's like, you need to know Jesus because Stone Cold says, oh, Austin 316 approach, right? It was like, I didn't care what you had to say. I didn't care. I just, I just needed you to hear what I believed in. And And what's interesting is that Jesus is asking a question. And when we get to know people, right, when you get to know your neighbor, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When you start to unpack people's lives by asking them these deep questions, you get to the root. The reason why Jesus asked the question is to get to the root of the heart. Where were you coming from with this? And obviously it says that he was trying to put Jesus to the test. And so this is, this is one of many occasions that these Pharisees, these religious experts, are trying to trap Jesus because Jesus is a threat. He's exposing them of their wickedness. 
And instead, he shows them compassion by asking them, well, you tell me what you think. And then he goes further, and then he gives them the answer uh, to just try to justify himself. When I, when I look at, at the attitude of the lawyer, I think about, like, when I go to the, you know, the elders and the pastors and even, you know, the Bible study leaders in this church, I come to learn, and I come to, to find the points in my heart that, are, that are, have something wrong with them and try to serve Jesus better. Um, it's the, the, what it's not like, <laughs> I think about going to the dentist. <laughs> when, I, when I go to the dentist, I don't want to learn anything. I don't want to be told anything about what I'm doing wrong. I would like the de- dentist to say, well done. Keep brushing your teeth exactly twice a day and everything will be fine. I want to get out there as smoothly and quickly as possible. And I think of the lawyer kind of coming to Jesus like this. He doesn't want to learn. He wants to be told, no, you're, you love your neighbor. The, you know, the people next to you, you're doing fine. No, no changes needed at this time. So do you go to God like he's a teacher? He's the rabbi, he's the savior of the world? Or do you go to God like he's the dentist? <laughs> Uh, the lawyer, yeah, he, he, he just wants to be told he's doing a good job. He doesn't want to learn anything. Um, but learning from God requires a heart willing to change. It's not one requiring approval. We don't want to just go to God and be told, yes, everything is fine. That's not how, how, how serving God works. It's a constant. Even when you've, you, you've, you've, you've changed something, God will, find, will, will show you some other you know, portion of your heart or some other area that you could be serving. It is a constant, hopefully, <laughs> You know, kind of a keep tearing down and, and building back up. We're refined like silver. It's not, you know, a, a one-time deal. Uh, and if you need to, to, if you find yourself needing that, there's a lot of places, you know, either Cedars out, or outside that you can do this. You can, you know, find accountability partners. You can join a ministry, take classes, or do, a, you know, find a mentor. But something or someone will, who will tell you that uh, the way that you're living your, ri- your life is, you know, not just bad, but good, but these are the areas where you can continue to improve. This is the kind of uh, thing, this is kind of step one in trying to find and help our neighbors, is making sure that our heart is ready uh, to follow God and to, and, to, and to find the areas in our heart that can be, uh, that can be made more Christ-like. Um, and then, yeah, yeah so, like, but just to, before I, I uh, speak on this next point, like, this is a journey, right, where we're becoming like Christ. And if we're doing this right, every single time you come and you're connected to the body, you're growing, right? It's about spiritual growth, you know? And Jordan's brand, Spiritual Gains, like we're intentional about growing in Bible literacy, right? Knowing what you believe in, but also sharing it. But in the process, your heart is being changed as you're putting the, the truths that you consume into practice, Right. And so this, you know, I just love that you touched on that. But um, when I think about like the condition of of the questionnaire, right, the condition of this religious expert, he, he's not aware of his own like ratchet heart. <laughs> you know, he's not aware of his his sinful nature. He's like he's he's been living this. And, and you, you might question, how did he come to this conclusion? Right. And Matthew five, Jesus makes this statement. 43 and 44, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Now, this is contrary to what these religious rulers have been used to, right? And so the Old Testament will tell you, love your neighbors and love those who are uh, strangers in your midst. But they didn't even love their own people. They didn't even love their fellow Jews. Who they did love were people that were in their narrow elite groups. Right. 
And so this, for years, has developed a very hardened heart and a blind understanding to what the truths that was supposed to reveal. But um, you think about, like, where, where they had to pull this from truth, right? And ultimately, there's a misinterpretation of the, of the word. And they, they would park in verses like uh, Psalm 139, 21 or 22. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? This is David, the Psalm of David. Uh, I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Now, David is expressing hatred for people who hate God. But, but David follows through in, in, in the next few verses and apologizes and tells God, hey, God, check my heart, check my motive. Right? It's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to, to allow that anger to cause you to sin. And so here Jesus is like lovingly saying, well, he still didn't get it after I just, he just, he answered the question he asked. And then he goes on and says, well, let me tell you about a parable. It's like the compassion of Jesus is so deep that he's like, well, if you didn't get that part, well, let, let's, let's see if you can get this part. I'm going to tell you a parable. So in reply, Luke 10, 13, or Luke 10, 30 to 33, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on them. So the first thing I'd like to point out here is this is not a story just of three people. This is not a person came to went to the other side. And then a second person went to the other side. And then a third person came and helped the man. These are specifically a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Um, so Samaritans, like, you know, we don't have time to get into the whole dynamic between Jews and Samaritans, but what we should know here is the Samaritans are outsiders. Uh, and one passage we can kind of quickly look to, to to show that is John 4, 5 through 9, which is the woman at the well. It says, so, so Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. I have no idea if that's how you pronounce it. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jo- uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone down into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask for me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. John makes a specific point. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So the kind of the second key theme here is outsiders. Samaritans, in a lot of ways, looked similar from the outside. They, you know, they, they, they worshiped the same God. They had similar rituals, similar, you know, similar habits, but there were key differences from Israelites. And as such, they were given outsider treatment. And even, even Jesus calls the woman in that previous passage, you Samaritans, further on in the thing. Um, so there's, uh, the, in John 4 9, it specifically hi- highlights, again, that Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. So there's certain racial and cultural differences that are being played on here. Again, priest and Levite were called out specifically, and the Samaritan was named. Jesus highlights that in, in doing so, uh, by making the Samaritan sort of the hero of the story, uh, is to emphasize that one's neighbor is not just that those that they are close with. Um, 
Yeah, they don't, not, not just the people that look like you, that you know, you're already coming into contact with, that are, you work with. Of course, we want to help all those people, but neighbor does not specifically mean the people that are close to you. Ironically, when I teach my, my kids about you know, who, what the word neighbor means, I usually mean the people on our street <laughs> or in our neighborhood. But Jesus' definition of that is far broader. I once heard uh, the great Haddon Robinson speak on this passage. And not to plagiarize this whole sermon, but his kind of key takeaway at the end uh, was that your neighbor is any person whose need God has put you in a position to meet. Even the lawyer at the end, we'll see this later, when he answers, you know, who, who, who was their neighbor? He says the one who helped. He wouldn't even recognize the Samaritan. Oh, it's the person who helped at the end. So if you help only those in your comfort zone, or then you're missing out on neighbors. <laughs> you know, like, like, obviously, yeah, help, like I said, people that are in need that are close to you, but, like, you can't just think, oh, who's the people that are in my close circle? You have to think broader. Neighbor means more than that. Jesus made this point to push the lawyer out into helping the difficult. You know, as we talked about earlier, the lawyer wanted to justify himself. I think he wanted to walk away with Jesus saying, oh, yeah, your neighbor is just the people that live close to you. But you're missing out on helping the people who are harder to help. The, the, the unclean, the filthy, the dangerous, the nearly dead. The passage says he's half dead. The big idea here is, is that helping your neighbor is about finding a need to fill and filling it. It's not about staying in your comfort zone, you know? Of course, use your spiritual gifts, you know? If, if, you, if there's an obvious need, fill it. But following God involves finding the people that God wants you to help. Um, like, I mean, even, you know, when it's taking from my own life, I mentioned that our, our home church is involved with uh, this racial justice effort, and it's not lost on me as a middle-class white dude trying to solve the problems of racial justice. I may not be the most qualified person in this area, um, but that's not really the, the point. The point is that God has put it on my heart. He has identified a need. He has, he has shown me that any effort to solve the problem will help. And so once you've identified a need, even if you don't think that you're the most qualified person to, to fill it, somebody's got to help these people. Somebody has to reach out. And if, if it's not us, if it's not the people that Christ has called to, who else is going to do it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, becoming sanctification is becoming in practice who you already are in perfection. And you hear statements like, um, I want more of Jesus. I need more of Jesus. And Jesus is like, bro, I poured it all out. What do you mean? You want more? I gave you the fullness of me you have access to, right? You have all of me. And when we take these truths and we live them out, I was talking to Erica uh, yesterday um, after we were serving, and I was expressing to her, man, I'm just grateful that there, there's this transformation happening in my heart. Like there's, there's literal, literal evidence of like, I'm like the, not the same person I was last year. I'm not the same person I wasn't 10 years ago. So God is doing a transformation in my heart as I seek out the neighbor. Because every neighbor who's created in the image of God will teach me something new, right? And when we talk about the outsider, right? And I think about the roads that you're, you're familiar with. Like, you know the turns to take to get to your gym, you know the turn to get to your work, to pick up your kids. You know, you're very familiar with these roads. But I want to share a road with you guys that is in the city of Newark that we took the risk. 
And like the road on the way to Jericho, we said, you know what? We're going to go this route, even though we've heard statements like, you don't want to go back there. That's, that's, that's not the right path. And we stepped in faith based on a truth that says, if you have loved the least of these, then you have loved me. So we were going to go, depending on that. We were going to rely on that truth. We were going to rely on God's protection. And what ended up happening is these outsiders, last January, they were outsiders. We did not know them. There was a wall that divides, and was, we were not able to see these people. And so as we stepped into this world, in the city of Newark, it's a little walkway behind Jack in the Box, Ardenwood, and we discovered our neighbor, Teodi, who invited me to, to, to sleep under the overpass one night. And as I asked him permission, gives me a bell before bed. I'm, I'm about to preach. It's about to be the first Saturday that we were going to serve there last February. And he brings a bell and it says, uh, ring for a kiss. <laughs> but he says, hey, if you need anything, just ring this bell. I'm sleeping under overpass. I'm trying to understand this world. I'm trying to immerse myself into my neighbor who's, who I thought was an outsider. But to immerse myself into this community, to gain the trust, and to, for him, I've never, I've been to many people's homes, but I've never give, been given a bell to say, if you need anything, bring this bell. And it was a re- revelation from God. I would have never understood that and experienced that if I didn't go. And, and Teodi is one person. There's Wicho. Wicho is an outsider who's a brother of mine, but he passed away last month. We met him six months ago. As we walked this road, and we couldn't get a hold of Wicho's family, but we, we figured, you know what? These people deserve to mourn. So they got to mourn their family member. This, this is their, their brother. So we threw him a little candlelight vigil, and in the process, we went around. I just took the risk. Hey, is there anybody here that wants to talk about Wicho? And every single person at the table is about 15 people. They expressed memories. They cried. And I said, man, this is the most powerful church service I've ever been to. Because our neighbors, they weren't outsiders. We brought them into the fold. They don't have to be in this specific building. But the church, if we are the church, we went to that road. And now a year later, there's Joey Marcus, there's Ryan Ross, there's Joy, Rich, Santos, who always makes fun of me and Matt when we get there, who Doreen, who there's Denise, who gave my daughter Kalina a little stuffed animal, a duck stuffed animal. There's Ray Ray, who is a hard thug, but practices vulnerability with us and cries with us. There's Clint, there's Eric, there's Junior, who went to school with Erica that she saw yesterday. There's Eddie, there's Daniel, who we just met yesterday. There's Stockton Dave, there's Chris, there's Apollo, who just found a job. There's Chris, who started working with us, coming to our home to help cook on Saturday mornings. And yesterday, he showed up with one of the pastors at Resonate Church. There's another Chris that got baptized by the pastors at Resonate Church. Resonate Church goes down this road to Jericho on Tuesday nights. And my encouragement is that It doesn't have to be in that road. There's a road that leads to a high school with a bunch of kids who need Jesus. There's a road in your workplace. 
that leads to, to outsiders who need to be brought into the family of God through the powerful gospel of Jesus that we are not ashamed because it is the power to salvation for those who believe. In our end, it's not the parable of the Good Samaritan. We talk about the parable of the Son of the Living God that stepped into this world and died for you and mine, my sin. That's the story we tell. That's the story we tell when people are asking what we believe in. Well, what do you believe in? Where are you from? Let's go grab a bite to eat. And we begin this engagement of teaching people and showing them not only by, by what we say, but by how we live. Passage goes on. There's verses 34 and 35. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, talking about the Samaritan, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, it's a decent amount of money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So when we're talking about these roads, the road to Jericho, it was not just some street. It was not like you know, Cedar Boulevard or something like that. This was a road that was dangerous. Everybody knew you go down this road, you are taking a huge risk, okay? When I was researching this, I found uh, that uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, he gave a talk on this, and he coined the phrase dangerous unselfishness in that talk. Dangerous unselfishness. What he's highlighting is uh, when Jesus talks about the priest and the Levite in this passage, those two men, when they looked at this half-dead, possibly dead, who knows, body on the side of the road, again, they crossed the road, so they don't even know what condition the person was in. Their calculus was, what would happen to me if I stop and help? I am going to uh, be possibly mugged myself. I'm definitely going to be late for whatever I'm doing on the other side. Touching a half-dead body will make me ritually unclean, which means I have to separate myself from society. So... And we don't even know if this person is, is you know, if, if helping them is going to save them. Again, this, this person could just be completely dead for all they know. They bypass this completely because what the risk to me is too great. But the Samaritan had the flip side of that uh, analysis. He said, what would happen to this man if I don't help? What's going to happen? Well, he's definitely going to die <laughs> naked and, you know, alone on the road to Jericho. And that it was an unacceptable outcome to him. Leaving a person who is God's child to die on the road is not acceptable. And this problem that happened, isn't that, you know, it was not created, done, or perpetuated by any of these people. The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, none of them were responsible for making the road so dangerous. They didn't tell the man, go down this road, you'll be safe. He didn't tell the robbers to be waiting. None of them caused this problem. It's not their fault. But the Samaritan, he took on great risk risk and hardship to help a man uh, who may have been dead or died soon. And we don't even know what happened to this man. Spoiler alert, at the end of the story, it doesn't say the man made a full recovery and went on to become one of Jesus' disciples or anything like that. You know, it's a, it's a parable, but we don't know. You know, the, the, man, the Samaritan did his best and then moved on. When Martin Luther King Jr. gave this speech that I mentioned, uh, he gave it to the sanitation workers that were striking. He uh, he knew that this was the place that he had to be that God had called him to. And do you know what happened to Martin Luther King after that? The next day, he was shot dead. He talks in that speech about, there are people that want to take my life, and yet he's still going and, and, and speaking publicly where he, he's announcing to everybody where he is and what he's doing. He lived 
dangerous unselfishness to the point that he died for it. The big idea here being that serving Jesus is designed to be costly. God has put you, again, as Had Robinson said, God, your neighbor is any person whose need God has put you in a position to meet. God has put you, no matter where you are, no matter what, you know, how much money you have, how much time you have, how many kids, whatever. God has put you in a position to meet somebody's need. So go meet it. Use whatever privilege, resources, time, you know, training that you have. Um, the, what comes to mind for me is uh, one time I, I, I was doing a homeless outreach with my old church. Um, and at the, end of the, at the end of the outreach, there was a, a homeless gentleman who had ridden his bike there. And the bike, he had the, lock, he had the, the, the wheel locked to the frame. The key broke off in the lock. So he couldn't use his bike. And he needed somebody to help him. So he said, can you take me somewhere where I can get this unlocked? And I was sort of thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. I had a truck. I said, all right, let's take it. You know, I was young, Christian. I'm like, every, you know, world's invincible to me. So I take his bike and I put it in the back of my truck. We go to a bike shop. We go and the guy's trying to get the lock out. And the bike shop owner says, so where did you get this bike? <laughs> and the guy says, well, a friend gave it to me. And he says, Really? Because the police registration stickers have been scratched off. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I thought, this bike is stolen. This guy's going to call the cops. I have made a grave mistake. <laughs> so the guy says, you know, I, I didn't steal it. You know, long story short, he didn't call the cops. But he also didn't get the bike lock open. He couldn't get the key out. And so at this point, I was ready to be like, all right. Well, we tried. <laughs> have a nice day. And the man says, no, you know, we, we, I, this is my only means of, of getting around. I need help. So I trust a God, put the bike back in the truck. We go to another bike shop. And the second bike shop owner says, so where did you get this bike? And I thought, I cannot believe this. I'm going to go to jail. <laughs> I really thought I was going to jail that day. <laughs> um, and, the, you know, to, to make an already long story short, I believe the, the man that I don't think he stole the bike. I think that somebody stole the bike and gave it to him. But the second bike shop owner, he managed to get the key out. He slapped it with a, with a wrench. <laughs> the key came out, and they managed to get it open. And then, you know, at the end of the day, we, you know, they didn't call the cops. I said goodbye to the man. He rode off on his way, and I haven't seen him again. The point here is that I was in a position to meet his need. God didn't ask me to cure homelessness in the Bay Area. He didn't ask me to fix everything. He asked me to pick up his bike, put him in my truck, take him to a bike shop. And I did that. It was, was it dangerous? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but God didn't put me in a situation to bail halfway through and go home. He put me in there to help him. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable, but it is what God needs us to do. Yeah. And I love the illustration, uh, that was put in front of us earlier. And I was, I was, I was going to close with this thought, like, you know, a vessel is able to release the content that's in it two ways. But today I learned there's three ways. There's when the vessel bows or when the vessel is broken or when the, vessel, when, when the content overflows. And the truth is, is that you and me, through faith, we've received the blood of Jesus and the content that was received was always meant to be lived out. Faith comes through hearing and, and we are to manifest what we hear into our hearts and we live it out. There's, there should be an action there should be evidence through our posture towards people, to, through our patience, our, our generosity. And in the same way, even when our vessel is broken, 
when you're suffering, you're going through a lot, you're still praising and allowing the content that is in to be released where there's evidence of what's inside. And it's powerful when you and I are saturating our hearts with truth and we're, we're, we're pouring it back out to the people in our lives, into our communities, like, that's good news. That's, that's the gospel that at any moment you can be a good Samaritan to those who are outsiders, bringing them into the family of God through the gospel, which is the message of hope. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers, Jesus said. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The Samaritan helped a nearly dead man who he'd never met. And not only that, but he left a blank check at the inn. He he told the innkeeper, help this man clear him. I'll pay whatever it costs. He didn't negotiate, uh, you know, I'll pay for X amount for two weeks. He left a blank check for this person he'd never met. And he wasn't even sure he was going to survive. The Samaritan didn't think about being unclean. He didn't think about losing money. He didn't think about being mugged himself. He didn't think about being late to wherever he was going. He just did what had to be done. (laughs) And he didn't ask the cost. He didn't question if he was the right person for the job. He wasn't. As far as we know, he was just some guy on the road that had a donkey. But that's all that Jesus required was a donkey to put the man on his back. The big idea here is our job is not... To, to, to plan for decades, wait for the perfect opportunity to serve, and then go for that one thing where God puts the burning bush and makes everything clear. Our job is to serve right now as best we can and let God guide us. We already told the story of how, you know, when Barry and I started our home churches, neither of us knew exactly what this was supposed to look like. We didn't have the five-point plan that if you do this and grow this X amount, then you'll, you know, be spreading to home churches. We just kind of did it. We'd been training for long enough that we were sure that God wanted us to do it. And we said, okay, I, you, know, you know, no time like the present, let's just do it. And you can all do that. You know, it doesn't have to be a home church, but there's a ton of, ser- of opportunities to serve through Cedars and other organizations that put a little bit of risk on yourself. You know, you could start a micro-community, you know, put yourself into that. Uh, you could uh, be, work with Foster the City. You can be one of the partner families that, you know, it, that's a commitment. You could, you know, look up those Compassion Network weekly emails, do some odd job, donate some money, you know, uh, or you could just go start something on your own if none of those appeal to you. But the point here is loving your neighbor involves doing something, Like, you have to find, you know, like, you can't just sit around waiting. You know, once you're confident that you know God wants somebody there, go be that person. Yeah, we were serving with my mom yesterday, and uh, she goes, you know, Jesus said, just go. So, like Nike, with her broken English, she goes, like Nike, just do it. (laughs) Just do it, you know? What's so hard? Just read the Bible, follow Jesus, wherever Jesus went, just do it. I'm like, easy, that sounds easier to say Mom, you know, but, but that's where trusting in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Uh, God, thank you so much for the story uh, that is meant to spear to our hearts, um, causing a different perspective and, and moving us into a place of action. Um, we're grateful for your blood that poured out from the cross to, to give us access to the, the type of ch- generosity that is so radical. The world looks and says, whoa, what is that? Um, you, you lavished us with the, the act of, of love that is so profound, it was sacrificial. You died from a broken heart to release everything, all the contents in your heart gives us everything that you are. 
You've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Empower us to go into this week, Lord God, today, Lord God, to reach somebody, to help somebody today, not tomorrow, today, Lord God, to text somebody we haven't talked to in a while, invite them to church, Lord God, whatever it is, that we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us, and we ask that we would ask the question, to have that dialogue with you first, who do you want me to serve today? Who do you want me to, to, to support? Who do you want me to love? Lord, we love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You guys may go in peace. Go love. Love well. Thank you all.